So preaching for us today is a friend of mine named Joao. So Joao is from Brazil and moved here uh, to go to Baylor and then stayed for seminary where he and I met. And a few weeks ago, he got the harrowing phone call at 8.30 in the morning that our D-Now speaker was running 103 degree fever and I wanted him to come speak with less than 24 hours notice. So, and he did a fantastic job for us. And so John asked if he would like to come speak for us again uh, this week. So welcome, Joao. Come up. Good morning, FBC West. It's an honor to be here in this place today. As Robert said, my connections, I started hearing about this church because of Robert as we took classes together, and he was already working here. He would always bring up this example. So I work in this church, so how do I teach this? So I started hearing about this. FBC West was like almost like a student in my class at that point. And then I was also good friends of Lane Craig, uh, through whom I met Wendy. Uh, so I started hearing more and more about FBC West when Wendy started uh, working here. And then I got the call. Uh, <laughs> and it was a joy to be here for D-Now. I had a lot of fun. And we had a lot of fun right here in this sanctuary as we learned about who God is and how we are, who we are, in light of God's identity. We asked questions like, who is God? Who am I? Why am I here? All this kind of easy stuff. So today I thought that we would continue that conversation from Dina. Who is here for Dina, by the way? Who, where, where, Robert is here for Dina. Okay, I have a couple people who are here for Dina. Where were the rest of y'all? Like, why didn't you come? Because of y'all who didn't come to Dina, I'm going to have to kind of like preach from a different passage. But if you are here for Dina, you know that we are continuing a conversation, okay? But if for the sake of everyone else, I'm changing the text. Because at Dina, we are talking about the identity of God. And today, the question that I have for us is, who is your God? Now, I know it's weird to have this question up on the screen of a church on a Sunday morning. Because perhaps we assume that if you and I are Christians, we worship the same God, right? And that's a fair assumption. And if you are not a Christian, you are here, you're like, well, I thought that all these people worship the same God. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. We do worship the same God. But in each of our minds, each of us has an idea of God. We each has a, have a mental image of God. And that idea is slightly different from each and every one of us. But it's really important that we get the right idea of God. It's really important that we have the right image of God in our minds. Because our idea of God shapes our actions in the world. The way we think about God determines how we live. In this passage that we're going to look at today, there's a story of some who, someone who misunderstands God. Someone who gets his image of God not quite right. As we read Mark 8, verses 27 through 35, we're going to see that Peter misunderstands God. And Jesus teaches him how to get it right. So follow along as I read this story for us. We're in Mark 8, starting in verse 27. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, 
who do the people say that I am? And then they answered, some say that you're John the Baptist, some say that you're Elijah, and still others say that you are one of the prophets. So Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And Jesus sternly ordered him not to tell anyone about that. So Jesus began to teach that the Son of Man must undergo great sufferings and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He said this quite openly. But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter saying, Get behind me, Satan. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. So Jesus called the crowd of his disciples and said to them, If any of you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their crosses and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. When we look at the first four verses of this passage, we have an interesting scene. In fact, we have a very interesting placement of this story. If you, look, if you jump to the end of the Gospel of Mark, you're going to see that there are 16 chapters in this story, 16 chapters in this uh, Gospel. And we are right in chapter 8. And if I still remember math, 16 divided by 2 is 8. We are right in the middle of this story. Now perhaps you've spent all of your weekends watching March Madness these days and they're used to a halftime show in the middle. But that's not what's happening here. In the stories of the Bible, the middle is usually not a point of rest, not a halftime show. In the Bible, the middle is much more like midterms. The students in the room get here. Midterms are often the most important time in the semester because if you don't understand up to this point, you're probably not going to get the rest. But if you get it, if you get the most important lesson, you're set for success. So when we get here to the middle of the story, to the middle of Jesus' ministries, Jesus has a midterm. And he asks the disciples, first question, what are you hearing about me all around? What's the report? So I don't know if the disciples did a survey or anything like that, but they knew what was going on. So they answer, well, some people are saying that you're John the Baptist. Some people are saying that you're like Elijah. Some people don't really know, but maybe one of the prophets. That's what we're hearing about. And if you look at the names that they bring up, John the Baptist, Elijah, the prophets in general, you get that Jesus was getting good reviews. You know, Jesus got a good reputation. John the Baptist, Elijah, they are important people in the story of Israel. Everyone understood that somehow, in some way, Jesus was important. And isn't that true nowadays? Have you ever met someone who says, oh, Jesus sounds like such a nice guy? Or perhaps someone looks at you and says, yeah, Jesus was a really inspiring soul, wasn't him? What a beautiful personality he had. 
And every time I hear something like this, I never know what to say because on one hand, I want to say, yeah, you're right. Jesus is a beautiful soul. Jesus does have a beautiful personality. Jesus is a beautiful person. But on the other hand, I want to say, yes, but he's much more than that. Jesus is much more than Elijah and John the Baptist or any of the prophets. Jesus is all that and much more. So after hearing the report from the disciples, Jesus asked the second question. And I guess that's the important question of this midterm here. Who do you say that I am? And the Bible doesn't say this, but I imagine that Jesus kind of like had high expectations for the disciples at this point, right? Because if the crowd who was with him every now and then, who would see Jesus one time and then go away and then see Jesus again a few days later, if the crowd got that close to the answer, the disciples would get it right, certainly. They were with Jesus the whole time. So imagine that Jesus has high expectations, and those expectations are actually met because Peter gets it right. Peter hits the nail in the, re- in the head when he says, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the sent one from God. Peter gets it right. Now, I don't want you to be confused by verse 30 when Jesus sternly orders him not to tell anyone. Because usually, if it's the, you got the right answer, you can tell people the right answer, right? But imagine this is a midterm, so if you get it right, you cannot tell everyone. But actually, in the story of Jesus, what happens is Jesus doesn't want everyone to know that he is the Messiah until the right moment. So he wants to keep this in the hush-hush, not because this is wrong intel, but because this is right intel. Because the important thing here is that Peter gets it right. But I told you that this was a story about misunderstanding. I told you that this was a story about Peter getting it wrong. But that's exactly the thing about misunderstanding. In the beginning, it always looks like you got it right. You know, have you ever been at home just chilling, and then your spouse asks you to do something, something that they usually are the ones who do? Like, for example, your spouse, I guess, asks you to feed the dogs or to trim the bushes outside. And you know, you want to be a good wife, you want to be a good husband, so you're like, I got it, I'm going, I'm gonna do it. And you start doing it, and halfway through the process, your husband, your wife just comes and says, you were doing it wrong, you did not understand it. And then you're like, I thought I did. That's misunderstanding. That's what's going on with Peter here. It looks like he understands. It sounds like he understood, but in fact, Because when Jesus starts to explain what it means for him to be the Messiah, when you look to verse 31 and Jesus starts to expand upon the answer that Peter gave, Jesus starts saying that because he was the Messiah, he was going to have to suffer and be rejected and eventually be killed so that he could resurrect on the third day. And as the narrator says here, Jesus said this quite openly. But just as he's saying, All of these things. Peter, the same guy who got it right, takes him to the side and says, Sir, I think you got this wrong. Can you imagine this boldness? This guy just said that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the sent one from God. That Jesus is God. But he thinks that God is wrong. 
And he has the boldness to rebuke him. He has the boldness to say this. But the reason that Peter says this is not just because he wants to show off. It's not just because he's prideful. The reason why Peter rebukes Jesus is because Peter has the wrong idea of what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah. Peter misunderstood the identity of the Messiah, the identity of God. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah, the sent one from God to free all people. But in Peter's mind, the Messiah could not suffer. The Messiah could not be rejected. The Messiah could not be killed. None of that fitted in Peter's definition of the Messiah. That's why he rebukes Jesus. Because Peter had the wrong idea of God. But Jesus would have none of that. The, masters come, the master comes right back at Peter in front of everyone. Notice that Peter had took Jesus aside on the corner, kind of like in the hush-hush. Jesus goes back in front of everyone and says, Get behind me, Satan. And that's harsh to hear. And we're going to get to this, to this statement in a second. But the first thing that I, I, I ask, the first thing that I, that I am confused about when I read Jesus' statement here is, why did Peter have to get it right all the way? Why was it so important for Jesus to rebuke Peter in front of everyone so loudly, so clearly, so harshly? Why did Peter have to get this right? Why was it so important? He got the title right. Why was it so important that he got everything right? You know, if you've ever seen that movie, uh, Lion King, uh, I guess there was a remake uh, very recently of it, there's a moment towards the beginning of the movie when the little lion, Simba, is growing up and his dad takes him on a walk and starts to tell him that one day, little Simba, little lion, would become the king, would become the king of the forest, because, you know, that's a royal family, that after the death of the father, Simba would become the king. And Simba, the little lion, sees how his dad has a beautiful mane, how all the animals bow down before him, and little boy gets so excited about being king that he starts to burst in this song, I just can't wait to be king. But as he goes through the song, all that he can say about being king is like how beautiful he's going to be, how everyone is going to bow down before him, how awesome it is to be the king. And all throughout the song, you have this little bird who's the royal advisor named Zazu run, flying around this little lion and trying to explain to him that that's not what being king means. You see, little Simba, the little lion, got the title right. One day he would be the king, but he got the responsibilities all messed up. He didn't get what it really means to be king. Now you understand why the little lion has to get it right. Because one day he's going to be the king. So it's important that he understands. But when you go back to the story of Peter, that doesn't square out. Peter is never going to be the Messiah. So why is it so important? Again, I ask you, why is it so important that Peter understands what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah? Why is it so important that he gets the title and the responsibilities right. It matters. 
Because our idea of God shapes our actions in the world. You see, the first hint that we have is in the rebuke of Jesus. When we look at verse 33 and we read, get behind me, Satan, we tend to focus on the Satan part. Because let's agree, that's pretty harsh. We get really scared about a Jesus calling someone Satan. That's harsh. But I want you to notice also what comes before. Get behind me. Because what Jesus is saying to Peter here when he says, get behind me, is follow me. You get behind someone so that you can follow them. What Jesus is saying to Peter is, abandon this definition of Messiah that you have. Abandon this idea of God that you have and get behind me because you were created to follow me. In the words of a great preacher from the past, what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing because we tend to move towards our mental image of God. You see, unlike Simba the little lion, we are not meant to become kings, but we were created to follow after the king. Our idea of God shapes our actions in the world because we were created to imitate, to follow God. Folks, the logic is quite simple. That's all that we talked at D now. We are created in the image of God, by God, to imitate God, to live with God. But as you know the story, humans messed it up. We got kicked out of the garden. And ever since then, we've been trying to find our way back. We've been trying to find our way back to life with God. We've been trying to find our way back to imitating God, to follow God, to be in the right relationship with Him. That is the deepest desire of our hearts, to be back in relationship with God. So if God is our goal, if we were created to follow God, to imitate God, to live life with God, the most important question is, who is God? If we are created to live with God, to imitate God, to follow God, we got to know what God cares about. We've got to know what God thinks about. We've got to know what kind of life God lives. We've got to know who is God. Because if we get this question wrong, we're in deep trouble. If we misunderstand the identity of God, we're in deep trouble. Because our idea of God shapes our actions in the world. If we get the idea of God wrong, we're going to be acting wrong in the world. We are in deep trouble if we think that God is American or German or even Brazilian. We are in deep trouble if we think that God is a Democrat, a Republican, or even an Independent. We are in deep trouble every time that we think of God with these human categories instead of the divine categories. We are in deep trouble every time we set our mind on human things instead of divine things. Because our idea of God shapes our actions in this world. That's why the question of who is your God matters. That's why we need to have the right idea of So how do we get this right? How do we get out of the trouble? We follow Jesus. 
As he called Peter in verse 33, when we read verse 34, Jesus calls the crowd, calls the disciples, calls everyone, calls you, calls me to follow him. Like Peter, we are called to leave behind our human definitions that we had about God, about the Messiah, about power. And we are called to leave behind all the expectations that we had for how God ought to be and exchange it for the example of Jesus. We are called to look at the life of the Jewish man who was born under the, under the oppression of the Roman Empire, who was rejected by the religious leaders and spent his time around fishermen, lepers, thieves, tax collectors, prostitutes, all that before he was condemned by the very people that he came to serve. If we want to know who God really is, we look at the life of Jesus. For he is Emmanuel, God with us. We are very used to say, friends, that Jesus died for our sake. And that's true, and that's wonderful news. But let me remind you today about something that's also true, that's also incredible news. Jesus lives for our sake. Yes, his death and resurrection are very important, but if that was supposed to be all, if all that Jesus came to do here was to die, he could have come as an adult, got on the cross, die three days, rise up again, go back to heaven, mission accomplished. If that was all, it would be simpler. But that was not the point of Jesus' life. Jesus came to give us the right idea of God. Jesus came to show us what it means to live a life following God, a life of obedience to God, obedience to the point of death on a cross for the sake of others. That should be our image of God. A God who is all-powerful, and yet uses his power to bless the poor. A God who wraps himself in a towel to wash the dirty feet of his followers. So that with those feet, they could get behind him and follow him. So friends, The harsh rebuke that Jesus had for Peter is also an invitation for us today. It's the invitation that comes up today, that has come up 2,000 years ago, and that stands forever. It's the call to follow Jesus. It's the call for us to deny ourselves and take up our crosses. It is the call for us to let the life of Jesus shape our idea of God so that our actions in this world will be like his own.